0: Welcome to the Recover You Podcast. I'm Kyleen.
1: And I'm Patrick.
0: We are a couple in recovery.
1: From sex addiction.
0: And betrayal trauma. Together we share our story to encourage you on your journey. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Recover You. We are so happy you are here because if you are listening to this episode, you are probably a friend or family member of an addicted spouse, someone that has just confessed or been found out um, when in regards to sex or pornography addiction, and they are navigating recovery, um, possibly with their spouse. And so you have been sent this episode of, like, how do I support this Person, and so if you also need an episode walking through how to support the betrayed spouse, go ahead and check out our last episode because it was all about understanding betrayal trauma and you know how to be a good support system for that. And today, we're just going to focus on supporting the addict. So um, Patrick uh, is going to do most of the uh, talking today as he kind of walks you through this. And uh, so, take it away.
1: All right, here I am. Um, so I, I actually wanted to, you know, when when you you know, this is not a um having experienced this, you know, discovery and learning in relatively short order that I was addicted. I think I knew that, but you know, kind of the clinical point of that and and under and trying to figure out what I was gonna do with this, you know, it, it became I guess I, I recognized that that very early on I was going to probably have some friends and family that were going to understand some friends and family that weren't going to understand. Um, and so what I'd like to do today is hopefully describe what the, what the addict is going through. Right. And so I, I believe, I hope that I can articulate very clearly what an addict who's trying to take responsibility is going to feel, but there's very mu- much, much, a situation where you could get into where the betraying partner is not taking responsibility and i'm going to talk a little bit briefly about about what that would so if you if you you know as as you're i think one of the ways to To kind of understand the difference there is is how they're talking. So the one who's taking responsibility is going to talk about the deep shame they have and what they're going to try to do to make amends. They're going to be like, I really, really hurt this person. You're going to hear those kinds of maybe a lot of crying, maybe a lot of, you know, how could I and all, you know, what is wrong with me? Like a lot of those kinds of things. What you may hear on, on somebody who's not taking responsibility is they may blame the spouse well, you know, all all that person ever does is nag me. Well, you know, they're never around for me. They don't take care of my needs. You know, and and here they are. You know, now I'm in trouble. You know, you know, kind of.
0: I do everything. I for do them.
1: everything. Why for are
0: them. they? Why don't they trust me?
1: Right, right. And so you may hear you may hear things like minimizing. Well, you know, my friend has had five affairs. All I did was look at pornography. You know, like you may hear kind of a minimizing be- behavior or a downplaying behavior. So I think what 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 I'm going to try to do is talk through kind of what I was feeling. And I think, in, in I think
0: for most people that are going to receive this, it's probably from somebody that's um, really taking their recovery seriously. Right. Right. So,
1: yeah. And and actually, you know, the the the, the groups that I that I lead, I, I will see these patterns of what I was feeling show up in various behaviors in, 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 in various ways. So. Um, you know, I think, I think the first thing, and this is actually something that keeps you in addiction, but the first thing is deep shame. Deep, deep shame. You are very, very ashamed of what you've done. You can't differentiate between what is what you did that was wrong versus that you're wrong. So, you may hear things like, I am such a horrible person. I am such a, you know, "I'm I'm just, you know, they'll really be self-critical. Um, you know, I'm just—I'm not, not worthy. I'm not worth it. You know, it's—it'd be, be better off if, if she wasn't with me. It'd be—you know—I've hurt my children too, too bad. I've ruined everything. You know what I mean? Like you'll—you'll you'll hear that. That's what I was experiencing. What's this deep shame? You know, and 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 as as I as the especially through the process of of discovery. You know, there's the there's the pinpoint either where you admit or, you know, disclose or you get discovered that that happens. But then there's weeks and and possibly months, you know, that could lead you through a full therapeutic disclosure where things are coming out and and the addict is having to come to grips with their behavior over time. And, you know, it in, in so many, many cases, these are things that the addict thought they were going to take to their grave, right? That's the whole point. Like, they're, I'm going to take these things to my grave. No one will ever hear about them and this process is going to kind of ensure that they're not. So you may have these days where that that addict is just feels worse and worse and worse and you may see it on their you know the way they carry themselves. They may have been a very confident person and now you may see them walking with their shoulders down. And their head down, and their voice is really low, and things like that. So deep, deep shame. Um, they may come with a desire to come clean to everyone. So you know, like in my case, I went over, and I, um, your parents knew something was going on, and I didn't give the full story, but I did go over, and I kind of talked through what I had done, and I apologized, and it was a very sincere belief on my part that I wanted to make sure that that it was out there, and then. I started telling more people, and at one point, you were like, "Hey, can you stop telling people?" And part of it was because I wanted to kind of get it out there. I wanted to get it out there and just say, "Hey, this." Well, now
0: is, just so you know the whole world knows, so I think we're good on a that. half a
1: million <laughs> people. Yeah, yeah. So there, you know, there was there was a desire to come clean. I wanted to to tell people, and and I even thought through because it. I, I I think it was like two weeks too when I told Keegan, he knew something was going on and didn't quite know and. But then I told him, and that's her son. Yeah, yeah. So um, that there was that the desire to make amends by doing anything possible, right? So um, you know, stand on one leg, make dinner. Uh, you know, stay up late, be here with me, hold me while you know, like you, you really kind of, you, you really in 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 a way you subordinate your own needs maybe for self care and things like that because you're like, well, I'm such a horrible person. I need to do. I need to outwork this pain that I have caused. And
0: by self-care you mean like sleep. Right. And right. you know, yeah, things like yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Maybe you quit exercising because your wife says, you know, I, I need you here in the morning. And so you don't exercise. And because you're not quite sure how to kind of say, hey, I really do need to exercise. It'll make me feel good. You're not there yet. Right. You're not there yet. And so um, you know, it was a while into it, I think, when I finally said, hey, I, I need to get some sleep. And because we'd have these tough moments about 9 30, 10 o'clock at night, and we'd talk through things. And I wasn't, and maybe that was good of me. You, you can, you can be the judge, but I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to be here. But I remember, I think I forget what month it was, but I was like, hey, I, need- I think
0: that was super late and it was in, it was during an appropriate phase. That's not like setting, um. How do I say this? The the addict setting boundaries is not really appropriate in the beginning phases. The right. addict making amends, which is exactly what you're talking about, is appropriate. This So a lot of those feelings that you're expressing, those are appropriate. Like, let me do whatever it takes. Let me tell who yeah. I need to tell. Yeah. Let me make amends. Let me um, listen to your concerns. Let, when you're triggered, feel free to come tell me. Those are all very healthy things. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're talking about is nine months in, 12 months in let's set some gu- guidelines around these conversations so that we can still have them. I can still be here for your triggers. We can still talk through things and I can still get sleep and go to work the next morning. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How do I make sure that the betrayed partner feels safe and, and is um, processing what she needs to process while I'm also um, getting enough rest to effectively stay in recovery and do the things that I need to do.
1: Yeah. Um you may find that the person becomes much more spiritual so you may find that the person starts going to you know maybe they always just went to a sunday morning service all of a sudden they're in a wednesday night service and a sunday afternoon service and they're and they're and they're in their bibles when maybe they weren't in their bibles more and and i think the the challenge there could be is and it's probably very genuine because they're broken, and I remember feeling deep brokenness in me. I felt like I was just this completely broken person. I was trying to make sense of it, and I was really trying to go through it. I think um, you know, there's always almost a point where maybe they could spiritual bypass, and spiritual bypass is like, I'm just going to pray it away, or I'll I'll read my Bible and then I'll be fixed, you know, and things like that. And but there's a lot of good that comes from after something like this to go in and, and read the Bible, provided it's not manipulative, right? But you know, will they pray deeper? Will they cry while they're praying? You might see some of that. And I know that was happening with me. I, you know, I think I think every sermon that I sat through, I was crying, you know what I mean? And stuff like that
0: you were becoming more um, emotionally present Mm -hmm. because you were learning how to feel your emotions because you were no longer self-medicating. And so all of those emotions had more freedom to come to the surface and be expressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, You had mentioned spiritual bypassing. So an example is that, you um, had a conversion experience within the first month or two of recovery, where it was almost like you thought maybe you were saved before, but it was almost like a salvation experience. I mean, it was very like, it was a very strong conversion moment for you, where it was like, really, uh, you felt transformational in the moment. And um, so the difference is you took that and you used it as a foundation while still engaging in therapy and groups and and journaling and all of the um therapeutic recovery tools that you needed. Um, and so the the um potential that can happen is someone can have that transformational experience, that conversion moment that con- come to Jesus moment again can feel very very strong and then go well that's all i need i don't need to do these other things and so just sort of being aware that some people take one path some people take the other and we do see that um when when they have that come to Jesus moment or they they uh they have, p- some people can have the potential to use their faith to bypass the work that we actually need to do on earth to do the recovery, which we believe that God gives you to help you become a better, stronger person going through these processes. It's a both-and situation. And so, I think what you're sort of bringing up is don't just fall on one side of the aisle.
1: Right, right. And and you were right. You know, there was, there was definitely a uh, More emotions coming out there. And and you know, you'd see, you know, a lot of times when you see if you perpetrated harm and you see the impact of the harm, it's it and you're not a narcissist or a psychopath, it's very moving and it's very um uh deeply emotional because you know most good people don't want to hurt people and and so you're seeing the impact of that daily and and you know through that so it's it's emotional. Um you may actually feel empty because the addiction was actually doing something for you. There was a dopamine cycle a dopamine hit cycle that kind of happens in there and about um about 21 days in um you know, three weeks, four weeks, whatever that you may actually go through withdrawal, and so I know in my case I felt empty,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so um, uh, and and so you may notice that like let's say the person's sad, then maybe the person's different, maybe distant, and so that might be that period where they're going through that withdrawal because it was an addiction.
0: Or even some withdrawal symptoms, some people can have really significant mood swings where they experience more anger or volatility because again, what you're saying, like the brain chemicals, um, the withdrawal symptoms will, will be different for everybody because it, de- mm-hmm. it depends on a lot of things. It depends on their physical health sort and their their um, vitality, um, sort of their physical um and nutrient reserves sort of going into this, what their general tendency with their neurotransmitter balances are like is this somebody that trends anxiety or depression. And then we take, um, this extreme dopamine cascade out of the equation. And then there is a neurochemical and physiological rebalancing that happens. And so in that phase, which is typically the first three months or so, you may notice these mood swings. And sometimes for people, um, it can be even more volatile in in terms of like more anger, um, more heightened emotions, but there could also be that emptiness or depression as well.
1: Yeah. They may feel uh, really free, uh, finally, if this is something that they've wrestled with in secret for a long time, and they're finally getting some help, and they're finally getting making some connections in therapy, and they're finally starting to um, uh, understand why they were there and what the path forward is. And it doesn't take long to start to feel a, a little bit excited about that and to say, wow, I actually can heal. I can I understand what this means these processes work they look at where this has gotten me and so with that with that um uh that feeling of freedom they may experience in the household with their with their partner who they betrayed that that partner is not as excited for them that they're feeling this freedom and they're feeling because their partner is not feeling that way and so they you may you may hear from them maybe a little bit of resentment I don't know why she's She's upset at me because look at I've stopped the behavior and I'm and I'm and I'm going to go ahead and you know I'm going to heal and I'm never going to do it again. I mean I, I'm not sure what's going on there. And so I think the reminder is is people heal at different paces. You know, there's individual healing, then there's relational healing, and all of these different things. But that the addicted partner f- or fairly quickly could feel a sense of euphoria at the progress that they're having.
0: What, and what you're saying is it's it's simultaneous to the betrayed partner just finding out. So it's the right. moment that the addicted partner finds freedom, the betrayed partner's life is turned upside down. Right. And so right. that, that takes a significant amount of time for them to process. Again, you can go back and listen to last week's episode to learn a little bit more about what that feels like for them. But the addicted partner feels really good because they go, I'm finally free and I'm finally um, living a life of integrity and I feel great even while simultaneously feeling that shame and guilt for hurting their partner.
1: Um, I talked about the person who's taking responsibility, the person who's not taking responsibility. And, And you may hear a sense of denial or rationalizing, and that may show up like, I'm not as bad as this person who did all these affairs. I just looked at pornography um, why can't she get over this? Um, I loved her a lot and so your reaction could be a little bit different there you want to support that you want to support your family member and we'll talk about reactions but you may hear that you may hear the sense of denial still in there because denial is one of the nooses of addiction that kind of that kind of keeps you there and so it's it as you hear that, just remember that that's part of that healing process. As they go through the process, you're going to strip away. They're going to strip away denial. So you may hear that denial as they talk about it. Well, you know, I really, really love this person, and I, you know, don't they remember that I bought them a nice necklace? I don't know why they're so upset about this, you know, and things like that. It's gonna, it's gonna show up in in interesting ways. Rationalization, denial. Um, you may sense their desire to run away from the pain um I know this was really prevalent in me. Kylene would be better off without me. It would be much easier if we went ahead and moved towards divorce and then she could get the money, she could get this, she could get that and she could go on and live her happy life. And there you may hear that. You may hear the desire and you may um that th- that could come up quite heavily um and you may actually experience it. You may see them you know where they maybe they've 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 either checked into a hotel, maybe at, at based on a, a conversation between them and the spouse, but they may have just done that you know, anyway, and they're kind of running away from the
0: problem. So one of the things that I have found to be incredibly consistent, and I, I have, I think, yet to be given an example where this is not the case, um, but what I have noticed very consistently so far is that Addicts almost exclusively have an avoidant personality type. And that's part of what lends towards addiction because it is a self-medicating pain thing. And so avoidant attachment is the same type of behavior just manifesting in a different area which is relational and so it is you know addiction and sex addiction and porn addiction is an intimacy disorder people don't know how to feel difficult emotions in a healthy way and how to process those and they don't know when it feels uncomfortable how to lean in towards relationship because they're so used to leaning away from relationship and connection and so part of the recovery process is actually them learning how to lean in and develop that connection and that community so that, um, you know, they don't need the self-medicating anymore. So what you're talking about in those examples is, is essentially an avoidant personality type. And, um, so as a friend or family member, you know, um, you, you may sort of, uh, just be aware that that's, that's the very, 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 very common pattern. And now there's, there's different, um, Attachment styles, and they may have a combination—you know, avoidant, anxious, or you know, different things. But generally speaking, what I have seen to be very true across the board is that uh, addiction and avoidant attachment go hand in hand.
1: The the final thing I have is is on this is they may be full of fear, and so there is the uh, in many cases there is a full therapeutic disclosure, and that is a very scary exercise to do. Um, And if, you know, it's when you're sitting down and you're kind of walking through for your spouse with a therapist there and that sort of thing, and you walk through all of the things that maybe you have done, you know, acting out sexually since you were married, or in some cases, maybe your entire life's history of that, depending on what the spouse is looking for. And once again, these are things that you thought you'd take to your grave. And in maybe in normal situations, you wouldn't share if you were, you know, if you were just, you know, you know, if you didn't have an addiction, I don't know what what that would be, but you're very fearful. It's a very scary, scary thing, and a lot of times with that is a polygraph. And so the polygraph is um, a lot of people don't know what polygraphs are other than through TV, and so they're always kind of scary and law enforcement and all of these different things. And so you're you you may experience that the 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 recovering addict calls and maybe talks to you and says. I am just scared. I'm so scared. I've done all this work. I'm afraid it's all going to come unglued in this exercise. And so that's just something to to be aware of um, because fear is is a really real emotion.
0: And if you want to learn anything else about those processes, you can go into the first several episodes of this podcast, like back when it started in uh, 2023, because we, we walk through the disclosure process. We have an episode about the polygraph process, that sort of thing. So if you're curious about those, we're just sort of giving you the bullet points of like what they might be going through and what might come up. But if you want to know more about those, we talk in depth about our experience, kind of navigating those too. So depending on what level of, you know, this is really a process I knew nothing about. If you want to know more about it, go back to um, season one. We really go in depth about like what this process looks like for the couple.
1: Mm-hmm. So you know what does it what does that um mean to the friends and family how should you support the addict as they're going through this process what are some things that you should avoid as you're going through it and and, and you know certainly this is not an all inclusive list but these are these are some things that were either given to me or not given to me through the process and and I and I believe it's it's very helpful so let's kind of start with the do's um I think the first thing is to listen to them um listen to them when they call they're scared they're 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 excited. They maybe want to tell you, disclose to you. Like, listen to them. Um, and you know, if you're, if you love them, tell them you love them. You know what I mean? You know, just really. Um, uh, I think one of the nice things that I heard that that would be very helpful is to say, "Hey, I know that was probably scary of you to tell me that story, right? You know, especially like I know when I went over to tell your parents, I was scared." I mean, I was I did not know how that would go. I wasn't fear fearful of my physical safety, but I ju- I just didn't know how that was going to go. I expected, you know, and I've done a lot of things and hard things in my life, but I expected, you know, stern looks, a lot of questions. And that's kind of what happened. Um, but uh, so you know, listen to them. you know say, hey, I understand. and and a lot of the similar things that that you do for the betrayed spouse you're going to do for the addict hey you know how can I show up for you how can I what is it that you need from me right now um if you're going to give them advice I would say ask if you can offer advice don't be like hey all right this is is what you need to do be like hey do you mind if I if I offer you a little bit of advice here um, would it be okay if I maybe, let's say you have a background in this, if there's some resources that you think would be helpful, say, hey, would it be okay if I sent you, uh, you know, kind of ask for their permission because they may already be going down a road, you know, with, with, with some, some resources and things, but because mm-hmm. sometimes people may go, no, not right now. I've got a lot that I'm thinking through, you know what I mean? So it's always important to kind of, kind of do that. Um, certainly steer them towards a therapist or or a group setting if they haven't already. And we've talked about that before. CSAT is a good one, certified sexual addiction therapist. Groups like Conquer or SA or something like that. Like if they're just we talked about spiritual bypassing before, like, nope, I'm gonna pray it away. I'm gonna read, you know, the book of James, you know, 27 times through and then, you know, praise Jesus, I'll be healed. And it just won't work that way. Like if you're if you're not hearing that hard, deep Um, effort from them as you, as you're kind of talking to them, don't be afraid to steer them towards those options.
0: Yeah. As a friend or family member of someone who's going through this, I think one of the things to understand that I just mentioned a a moment ago is recovery for an addict is really about learning how to connect to other human beings. And so one of, one of the things about being a close friend or family member. So again, you, you know, there's a variety of different ways to respond based on the depths of your relationship, but let's say you have a really good, solid, you're very close Friend, what you're going to want to be encouraging an addict to do is is to live a life of integrity, right? And you're going to want to encourage them towards a life of honesty, a life of vulnerability, and a life of connection. And so that's going to be something where if you see them sort of pulling away, because this is a common thing, um, whether they have a conversion moment or whether they are doing therapeutic tools and feel really, really good somewhere between three to six months is a, is a very popular time for addicts to sort of engage in that avoidant behavior and go, I feel so good. I've done all this work. I don't need to do it anymore. Cause I don't have any desire to go back to my addiction. And one, so something as a friend or family member to sort of know that maybe you can gently open these conversations. If you see this pattern start to happen is that recovery typically takes two to five years. So, um, encouraging them to stay in therapy for a minimum of a year, encouraging them to stay in group for, you know, a really long-term um, healthy group that's focused on um, recovery mindset and, and true healing and, and not a victim mentality around it and that sort of thing. Um, so just being aware as a friend or family member that recovery for an individual like this is not a six-month thing. It's not a three-month thing. And in fact, in some ways, is a lifelong thing. Um, we really believe in the, the trauma model of addiction not the disease model, so we do not believe that addiction is a disease that um, you will always have and never recover from and will always struggle with. We believe in the trauma model where um, there are reasons that they engage in this behavior. Again, that self-medicating aspect and community and dealing with their traumas and their wounds and connecting um, with those resources can allow that person to get to a place of recovery where they never struggle with it again and they no longer want this thing and it has no power over them. So as a friend or family member, it can be um, helpful to sort of understand that there's a difference there because you might be very familiar with the disease model, which is really prevalent um, in culture. You know, oh, an addiction is just something that, um, you know, once you are you know a diagnosed addict essentially, this is something that's going to be with you forever. And there is another way of healing. and so being aware of that as a friend or family member to encourage the person to stay in community, to stay in vulnerability, to stay in connection, and that you know just reminding them like you totally have the ability to heal um, you know and pushing them towards those resources. I think that's that's a that's so, someone that is a close friend or family member and has a positive solid relationship um, can kind of push those things for sure.
1: I think if you're uh, a couple more here, if you know, I talked earlier about the, the addict will have this desire to make amends and maybe people will push that addict to go public. You know, we've talked about this before. Some churches, when it comes to sexual sin, will say, All right, we need you to stand up in front of the church and say stuff. I think we, because of the strong desire to make amends, people will make that decision to do that before they've gotten into any sort of healing, before they've been able to kind of Understand what's happening with their behavior, and they it may lead to further hurt. So I think we have to protect the addict through these things from from being too vocal with things. And you know, now they should be sharing with their wives as to what what's happened. They should be answering their questions. But you know, it, you know, three months in, if they're going to go stand in front of church, that's probably not appropriate. Maybe once they've got a year under their belt or a year and a half, and maybe they're running a program or whatever, and they want to go make an announcement on that, maybe that's appropriate. But it, it's just we, I think we have to be mindful of there's certain some unhealthy patterns that are there as the as the and we have to protect them. We have to look out for them and say, hey, before you go on social media or whatever and talk this through, let's let's oh no, I'm healed. You know, you'll hear people, even the betrayed may say, oh, no, I'm good to go. I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. Like, you know, slow them down a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, again, kind of as the family member, understanding that shame is often what is really prominent. You had mentioned that earlier. It's really prominent in the cycle of addiction. And it's often what keeps people in addiction. And so in recovery, being very mindful of things like that, that public shaming sort of aspect that, that might bring shame with it. Like it in, on, on the surface level, you might go, oh, no, that's just taking responsibility. And da, da, da. it's actually a very shaming process when you hear churches have people stand up and confess publicly to having an affair on their partner and that sort of thing. It's just not helpful towards the actual reconciliation for the couple. It's not helpful for relationship dynamics in the church. It doesn't encourage other congregants to come forward because they're afraid that that's going to be, you know, what happens to them. And so it's actually a shame inducing thing. And so, so as a friend or family member, you know, being aware that like, yes, you want to push and encourage and help them to live in integrity and to take responsibility and to, and to at some point be able to share their story in a healthy way and to utilize it for healthy purposes in their life, but as they're going through this recovery process, you always want to ask the question: Is what I'm saying, or is what this person doing, more shame-inducing than shame-healing?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's really good. Um, I think we want to affirm them, but not their behavior. So you want to affirm the person who is the addict. Hey, listen, you know, you're 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 not a bad person um yeah you did some things you did some things and 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 you know i'm going to stay here with you and i'm going to help you through this and while you go through these processes and i'm going to be there but you're not a bad person and so you want to keep affirming them and you know it's the difference between shame and guilt you know shame is i'm a bad person guilt is i did something bad we want to move people towards the guilt side right it's okay to feel guilty about what you've done but um so you want to really take the time to affirm them um and with that you want to encourage them this will be hard but i know you can do it i've seen you do hard things before or i know that you know that you can get through this process and i know you know what i mean so i, I think you really want to, to to take the time to to encourage them through this process because it's hard there is you know, there is I, I I know myself, I was willing to do anything. I actually I looked at a at an entry from in my journal from from uh three years ago and it said, This isn't hard on you, this is hard on them. So man up for it. It's it's actually what I said. And that's actually probably really good, right? But It is hard. It was hard on me. You know what I mean? And to minimize what was going on. So you want to encourage them through this process and say, hey, you're going to have some ups and downs, but I'm going to be here for you. That sort of thing. Um, And then, you know, like we said in the previous episode, you want to ask how you can help. How can I show up for you? Do you want to do you want to get on the phone weekly? Do you want to have coffee every Saturday morning so you, we can just kind of talk through this? Like you, you want to really ask how you can help. Sometimes the person may say, "Hey, when I call, I just need you to listen." Then go ahead and try to do that for you. Or, "Hey, would you mind, you know, being my accountability partner?" They may say, "I'm going to put, you know, some sort of software on my phone and my laptop." Would you mind being my accountability partner? You know, that's a real thing that. That comes with with uh, with with sex and and, and porn addiction, um, so that's really really important. Anything else you want to add on the do's?
0: Well, I think it goes into the same thing as the betrayed partner. The biggest do is just making sure that they know that you love them and are here to listen and support through the process. Mm-hmm. And I think the like the biggest don't with the addiction recovery would be don't shame or avoid or. Um, ask a lot of questions instead of like we have a we have kind of like with the polygraph we have a lot of preconceived notions about what addiction is be willing to ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. um and sort of come from that aspect to I think that's like the biggest thing
1: yeah yeah and and as i said in the previous episode we recognize that this is this is not a very well known thing people understand alcohol addiction they understand drug addiction um I think they even understand food addiction, you know, maybe, maybe more than they understand this. So I know one of the things is I shared with my friends what was going on. What was really helpful to me was when they would ask questions mm-hmm. and they would say, well, well, you know, why is that bad? Or what's going on here? Or, really, that's, a, you know what I mean? And so they were they were willing, you know, to to spend some time with me kind of understanding what, what I was going through.
0: And I think that was especially meaningful to you. Even when, or especially when, they had maybe different worldviews than you.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. There was a couple that that have a very drastic world, different worldview than than I do on 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 this topic. Maybe you know at some point, but that was the the sense is they were willing to learn. They were willing to kind of go through it
0: and to hear your perspective on it. Right. Yeah.
1: I think the things we want to avoid is you don't want to minimize the behavior. So when the when the when the addict is telling you about what they've done, you don't want to say, "Well, you know, everybody looks at porn." Now you may maybe an appropriate thing is to say, yeah, it's out there quite a bit. You know, it really is out there, and we understand how, or I may understand how you have, you know, found, you know, that that you're there looking at it. It's really prevalent. But to say like, hey, everybody looks at porn, you know, or or whatever, or or I look at porn and my wife doesn't mind. I don't know why your wife minds. Like that would be an unsupportive thing because. At that point, like, I didn't need to hear those things. I needed somebody to say, hey, I understand what you're going through. You know, how, how can I help you? So that's a really important one is don't minimize the behavior. Don't minimize or don't try to explain it away based on your own experience. And then well, and so and to, to
0: clarify say, within that point, not everybody that looks at pornography has an addiction. So when somebody is coming at you from the perspective of like, this is something that I've really struggled with to the point that I've taken tests and and I hit all the hallmarks of like this being a legit addiction. This is something for me to overcome in life. You know, it's take the perspective of maybe something that you do understand addiction with like drugs or alcohol and think, how would I maybe approach that situation? Mm -hmm. Because alcohol may not be a problem in your life, but it is in that person's life. Right.
1: Right. You know, one of the things I heard that was unhelpful was well, I think the biggest you know thing that you had going on was you spent money on it. Like, well, no, money was part of my addiction, but it was.
0: It was the pornography.
1: It was the pornography. It was, it was all infidelity. right. It was the infidelity. It was, so it was all those things. Right. Yeah. Certainly, you know, there are people who don't spend money on it and I get that. But, you know, it was there was it was the manipulation. It was all of those things. Um if somebody is going through something, be careful about maybe the jokes you say or the memes you send or whatever. So, like here would be a good example if you're if you're if your friend or your family member is going through this process, he's healing from sexual addiction. You know, be mindful of the of the memes you send out. I remember being very on edge and very heightened. Um, I actually had a friend who uh, was making a joke and and it was inappropriate. And I actually had to come on to the text ring and be like guys I'm sorry I can't be a part of that joking because it was just it was I didn't I was like ah you know like it was like out of control and think about it this way like if you know your friends trying to recover from alcoholism you know are you going to invite them to the bar you know you're probably not going to do that I would imagine you won't do that because you kind of understand that the same thing goes for sexual addiction you know there's there's um this person is trying to make sense it's you know This person is trying to say, okay, what are my patterns? What do I need to lock down? What do I need to be better about? And it can be very confusing. So just be mindful of that and try not to make it more confusing and triggering.
0: Well, and we, and just just for anybody listening, the fact that you're listening to this means that you want to be supportive and, and and nobody expects you to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Nobody, like mistakes will be made. A comment will be made or something. And that, and that's okay. Just again, the fact that you're listening and want to be supportive this the person that sent you this is so appreciative of that and so since you are listening, we're just sort of giving you these ideas of like what to sort of just be aware of, right? Like we don't want you to walk on eggshells around them, you know, especially (laughs) as they get into real recovery, Um, their resiliency towards things builds up in the first like six months to a year though, they're incredibly sensitive about all of these things. And so just maybe think through, like if you're really close to someone and you're gonna be calling them or texting them or anything like that, like what are the doorways, right? That lead um, or contribute to this type of behavior. So for example, we've talked about qualifying a lot. Like you don't want to go, oh, well you were, you were engaged in cyber sex, like, um, like like still picture por- uh, pornography, like that's not bad, right? Like, so uh, like don't not saying things again that minimize or that have anything to do associated with um sexual acting out, masturbation, strippers, um, pornography of any sort, um, affairs, you know, cheating, like all these sorts of things, just being really aware of your conversation and thoughts around that, um, because those are topics that could be incredibly triggering for someone who's in the beginning stages of recovery.
1: Right. Right. I think, you know, sometimes when you're supporting a family member or a friend through this who who was an addict, you may hear them talk about their spouse's reaction to it. So there could be anger. There could be, you know, like in our case, you you, you took a hammer to the laptop, you know, and you the addict may need to tell you those stories because it's important as they're processing through. So it's always inc- encouraging to to not judge the spouse's response. That's actually not helpful. It's not helpful to to you know, like like if if I was telling that story it'd be like, well, she shouldn't have done that. I'm like well, let, let me tell the story. like I, I I actually I never blamed you for taking the hair. I actually thought it was it made me feel good, right? I actually I remember the relief I felt when you did that. So don't take that away from me. Just try not to judge the spouse's uh, response. and we said this in the previous thing is trauma is very personal. Whereas you may know a relationship that survived this, and it was a very low-key response, and it was like, eh, whatever, and the spouse never reacted, let's say, with anger or deep hurt. Don't compare it to that. Trauma is very, very personal, and that that spouse is bringing their own family patterns into their response to this addictive behavior.
0: Their family patterns, their trauma history, their, uh, their faith beliefs, um, their worldview, all of that plays into how a couple navigates the situation. So again, like um, we talked about being like a safe friend in the previous episode. And the same thing is kind of what we're talking about here is there's going to be a big spectrum. um, And, you know, your worldview can be different and, you know, safety in conversation means that you allow people to sort of express their perspective and you're just asking questions about that. You're interested in it, and and in a deep friendship, you can share both ways. But especially when somebody's recovering from something that they consider to be as serious as an addiction, and it's causing rifts and problems in their relationship, just being more sensitive to the fact that um, listening and asking questions is going to be the most supportive thing there.
1: Right, right, right. You know, and and I think finally, you know, the uh, the we we all need support. We all deserve support you may actually when you hear this behavior for the first time from the attic you may be angry you may be really angry it may shock you and you may go and you may actually um be mad at that person and that's really okay but remember these are human beings and you know we we
0: it might be a betrayal for you to hear this it, that's
1: right that's right it may be very very hard for you to hear this because maybe you held this person in high regard maybe you um, maybe you get a detail that, that is very, let's say maybe triggering for you, right. That, that you couldn't believe. And so, but just remember, you know, these are human beings and and they're trying to heal and they're trying to go down the road. The one thing I would say is, and I was thinking about this a little bit, like if you have a, let's say you have a son who's an addict, who's not taking responsibility at all is all, and you're the dad or you're the parent or whatever, it, it, you've got to find your own way but there might be a way, if you hear deep lack of responsibility and deep lack of accountability, where you might need to say, hey, do you believe you're taking responsibility for this? Do you believe your reaction is is the best towards healing your relationship? Like, that's a hard one. I, I'm throwing that at the very end because that could be really hard to ask sometimes, like, Go ahead.
0: Yeah. That's sort of what I was mentioning at the end of the betrayal episode is like when you have a really close, really safe relationship with someone, um, you know, prompting them to go to therapy, prompting them to, you know, um, take responsibility for their behavior, that sort of thing. And so I think the same thing is true here, you know, depending on the closeness of your familial or friend relationship and the safety that is developed there and the trust that is there, that's more when a little bit of pushback, if, if, um, healing isn't occurring might be appropriate in some situations. Um, and again, there's a timeline, right? Like in the first three to six months, there's so much shock. There's so much figuring out. There's so much like, who's my therapist going to be? Where is there a group? Like what's going to happen in my relationship? How do I manage this? Everything in their house is chaos, absolute chaos. Um, you know, if they're like a year in and they haven't seen a therapist, that might be a good conversation to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If
0: they're a year in, they don't have a support group and they're not connecting to people and you know they're sort of glossing over some stuff, that might be a good conversation to have. Now, the likelihood is that if somebody's sending you this podcast, they're doing the healing work. So it's probably not you. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you ever come across anybody else, right. um, just be aware of these patterns and these behaviors. Yeah,
1: yeah. And 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 certainly through this recovery process, there's a lot of ups and downs emotions on everybody's part. And so I think I think for the for the for the in laws and for the parents, you know, the, there's that worry that you have for your children that can really, really kind of sit with you and things like that. And just understand that the process itself can take three to five years to heal. So understand it's not a quick process. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the other thing is be patient, be there for the long haul, continue to check in, kind of keep going, going that route. But you know, as you said at the end of the of the previous episode and this one, you know, you're getting this episode because your your uh, family member or loved one is interested in healing they're listening to resources they're going down a particular road and they're trying to find ways to have you support them so um Uh, hopefully this
0: was helpful yeah so thank you for being the person that is willing to listen to this and to learn about something that might sound scary or might sound different or might sound totally weird or maybe you don't understand it at all um but you were willing to go through this podcast and learn a little bit and learn how to ask some questions and be there so if you got to this point in the podcast and you are a friend or family member of an addicted spouse thank you so much i know that you are a valuable connection in their life and they appreciate you so much Woohoo! If you're listening to this, it means you've made it through an entire episode. Part of recovery is spending time engaging in healing and self-growth activities. We are thankful that you chose our podcast to be one of those activities today. Make sure you reward yourself for that accomplishment. If you've enjoyed this episode or this podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please take just a few moments to leave a rating and review, letting us know your experience with Recover You. We not only love hearing how these episodes are helpful, but ratings and reviews help others just like you who are searching for recovery information and support. Find the podcast too. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week.